Hello, hello, hello. This is Kelly. I'm Danielle. I'm Keely. And welcome to Aguda Murder Podcast, where you'll hear about sharp kills and cheesy thrills. <laughs> Damn it. Always be, nope, always be rolling. Sorry, I was swallowing some cracker, but hello, hello, hello. This is the Gouda Murder Podcast, where we talk about cheesy thrills and sharp kills. Hey, hey, oh, I flipped it around a little bit. It's all right. It's fine. We're it's fine. Everything we, is fine. We had a moment where we were thinking about, you know, you guys need to hear all the goofs because we goof. And um, we, we are not perfect, not despite perfect. popular belief. Sorry, the worst are not perfect. I don't know those words. I'm sorry. Hannah Montana. So, of course, as you guys know, this is Kelly. I'm joined here with my lovely ladies, my cheesy gals, Danielle and Keely. Hey. Hello, hello. And we're sitting here in my dining room uh, with this delicious platter of snacks and cheese and crackers and gummy bears. And uh, we're here ready to talk about some crimes, some spooky stuff, some not so great things, not so good of stuff, but also really good of things such as cheese. Such as cheese, yeah. We are uh, circling back in the Colorado area. Danielle, I believe you were saying to me that it's going to be happening in some Rocky Mountain highs. Yeah. Rocky Mountain lows. We're getting high up in the elevation mm. for this one. Okay, okay. Yeah. High up Sounds in the like sky. Some with some cheese. Mm. Yeah. Flying high in these Colorado ra- yes. Rockies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of course. So, Colorado Rockies, of course, you know, best known, well, Colorado in general is best known for its outdoor recreation, craft beers, hello, but also its thriving cheese scene. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about some cheese. I kind of wanted to talk about some artisanal, artisanal, artisanal? I'll take it. Artsy cheese. Okay. Yeah. Because Colorado Fancy. has a lot of it. Really? Some a, lot of, a lot of cheese shops. In, in and around the Colorado area, whether it be Denver or Colorado Springs or Fort Myer, not Fort Myers, Fort Collins, excuse me. A lot of, a lot of cheesy shops. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be dancing around some cheese mm-hmm. shops, some cheese facts, and kind of dive in high in those rocky mountain mm-hmm. areas mm-hmm. with a story that Danielle's slinging at us. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I think I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there and, and uh, let Danielle take over, and let's get at it. Well, thank you so much for that marvelous introduction. Marvelous! <laughs> so as you said, Rumi, my case is pretty elevated today. Mm-hmm. and um, To the next level. It's, all, it's on a whole nether level. level. <laughs> this case is... Very wild, and I had to share with my Gouda gals and all of our amazing listeners. Hi, Mom. Hi, Tim. Yeah. Hey, hey. Tim. Hey, Tim. <laughs> I know you're listening, bud. Tim needs, Tim needs definitely, like, as soon as we get some merch, get some pins, get some hats. You know, Tim, let me know what you, what you need, what you're at, we'll you make know, it work. I just think, I just really praise Tim, because my own boyfriend is a fake fan, and he told me, how can I be a fake fan if I never claim to be a fan? Because he never listened to our Ouch. podcast. 
That's I, a stinky cheese right there. That is a skunk master. Babe. That's a skunk master right there. Yes, it is. I'm talking about you, Drew. What a goob. <laughs> sleep on the couch. <laughs> Any hoozle. Make him sleep in the van. This is a case that, like we said, took place in the beautiful Rocky Mountain National mm-hmm. Park almost a decade ago exactly. Wow. Dang. So today we're going to talk about the suspicious death of Tony Henthorne and the only witness to her death, Harold Henthorne, her husband. <gasps> Husband did it. Oh, of course. So, as always, we'll list the sources in our show notes. But I watched a Hulu documentary. It's a four-part series. It's called Wild Crime: Murder in the Rocky Mountains. It's very, very great. For the first second, when you said Hulu documentary, for some reason I just thought of Wikipedia. Yes. And I'm like, oh, Wikipedia has documentaries? Absolutely. Oh my god, I didn't know that. It's just a bunch of <laughs> AFB home videos uploaded. Yeah, on yeah, the it Wikipedia is. <laughs> <website>. <laughs> All right, continue. So sorry. Yeah, well, I don't know why said, that made me think. I'm like, oh my goodness. Because citing sources, like, exactly. yeah, Wikipedia, Hulu documentary? Exactly. Oh my god. Exactly. <laughs> Idiot. Okay. So it is like four episodes, about 45 minutes each. It's really worth it. You guys should watch it yeah. tonight. Okay. Um, so let's. Get into it. Diving in. So, Harold and Tony, their wedding anniversary was September 30th of 2000, and Harold always planned something special for their anniversary. Oh, so, okay. this year it was coming up on their 12th anniversary, so he wanted to surprise her with a hiking trip uh, in the Rocky Mountain National Park. Naturally. Mm-hmm. Tony was an ophthalmologist from Mississippi. She actually had her own practice in Mississippi before uh, her and Harold got married. And then they eventually moved to Colorado, so she sold her practice and just worked in an office with a bunch of different doctors, like eye surgeons, right, associates, right. something like that. Okay. Um, so he called her secretary and made, um, she got, he got her in on the surprise, had her clear Tony's schedule for that day, um, and actually put Harold in as a mock patient oh. to do a surprise, like... <laughs> Which, there's a video of it. Yeah, super cute. It's really cute. Anyway. Yeah, yeah it really sounds cute. sarcastic. Mm, yeah, yeah, cute. It's like when somebody, something isn't cute. Like, oh my god, that's so mm, cute. That's so cute. People's, people's babies. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, god they're so, so cute. cute. Uh, you can't Do you want to hold it? Absolutely you can't not. tell me newborns are cute because they are not. They are aliens. Mm-hmm. No, they're not. Not cute. a chance. Not many are cute. No one they can really tell me are. otherwise. They really are. You got to give them a couple weeks. And I don't like their wrinkly normal. fingers. Like how, you're just you're fresh. You're new. Why are your fingers already wrinkly? My oldest son looked like a wrinkly old man. He was like, just, yeah. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> he didn't have a cone head though, so no. it was that he did not. Oh, did not. I thought you said he Thank did. God. He had a cone oh, head. He had so a cone he head. Like, and he was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the ugly. He's got the ugly, and you gave it to him. Just we'll kidding. Always <laughs> <buy them>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kelly, I thought that was my friend. <laughs> that was spicy. And I am really trying. Okay, JK. JK. There's no JKing your way out of that. Yeah. That's your, that's your final straw. She's really like, laughed. She's clearly totally corner laughed. Now. I'm literally in the fucking corner crying. Uh, Anywho. So their plan was to stay at Estes Park in the beautiful Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, there was a hotel there, restaurant, just a just a cute little romantic getaway for the twelfth mm-hmm. wedding anniversary. Just nothing there. out of the ordinary, Super you know. Cute. Yeah. They also wanted to hike a trail in the Rockies mm-hmm. while they were there. They planned to hike Deer Mountain Trail, which goes from about eighty seven hundred feet to a little over ten thousand feet in elevation. Okay. And Sounds the trail terrible. is about three miles to the peak. The peak okay. of the mountain. So, okay. it's Saturday, three September. Three miles up, three miles, three miles down. Correct. Okay. So, six miles. Nobody knows, thinking about the elevation. Yeah. Thanks a yeah. 
absolutely my ears are I've popping. I chew gum. Yeah. I've been to Colorado a couple times and I have hiked. I've been in Estes Park, which funny fun not Ooh. funny fact. But not a funny fact, but fun fact. Been to Estes Park. That is where the Stanley Hotel is. <gasps> oh. Been there, done dun, that. Dun, Super dun. cool. I would like to do that. But uh we should yeah, I'm not I won't say too much because I would like to for us to maybe talk about it yeah, in some other absolutely. episode. Um, but this is part of, yeah, Colorado hiking, it is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, there's, there's some low inclines, but there's a lot of high inclines. <laughs> steep. Absolutely. Steep hiking. Which is why they have all the different trails and mm-hmm. there's handicapped accessible trails. There's trails like this, you know, where it's when it probably takes... for more of like an average, maybe to intermediate hiker, mm-hmm. you know, probably. Yeah. I maybe, would definitely, I don't know. very low, very intermediate, intermediate breath, beginner really hiker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That asthma be getting me. Yeah. <laughs> that so, asthma. That asthma. Sorry. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so, Saturday, September 29, 2012. Happy birthday, Drew. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that that's not what we're celebrating here today. Not happy no. birthday. So, Tony and Harold, they eat breakfast. They get a couple sandwiches for their hike. Um, and they start their hike Necessities. around... Yeah, they start around 2 p.m. So, they got a really late start. Because mm-hmm. uh, sunset is like 6 p.m. Yeah. And this is about a six-mile round-trip hike. Okay. Hope you're moving fast. So, yeah. At some point, they leave the Deer Mountain Trail to have lunch um, or romantic times or whatever. Whatever story he's telling. It mm-hmm. includes very often lunch and romantic time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. So, they get to this spot where they have lunch and they see an outlook spot kind of down mm-hmm. the mountain or whatever. So they climb down there, and around 5.55 p.m., Harold calls 911, and he says that his wife fell down the mountain, and she needs help immediately. So I'm going to play some of that 911 call. Okay, so I have heard this. 
Basically, he just goes on saying that he'll pay for whatever and just goes on continuing with what her respirations are and um, eventually that he's going to start CPR. She asks him if he knows how to do that and he says he does. So just to recap what he says in case anybody like had an issue hearing it, because I know sometimes it kind of faded in and out. He said that his wife had had a bad fall. She's fallen 30 to 40 feet. She's in critical condition um, and her main injury is a head injury, a concussion. Okay, the dispatchers then uh, contact park rangers who head out on foot because like the dispatcher was telling him somebody needs to come out there on foot before we can get a copter out there because we don't know where your location is, you know, right, right. and he keeps repeating that he will pay any amount of money for a private copter, for a medevac, for anything to get her out of there. And she's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, we have That's to figure out where you're yeah. at. Correct. Yeah, you can pay for it. I don't care, but, but we don't know where you're at. Right. Yeah, say, yeah. I'll pay for anything. I was like, what the fuck? We need to find you first. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, and he's just... Okay. That was so. weird. The rangers actually had not really been to the area where Tony had fallen from, um, and it started to get dark, and he was having a really hard time trying to find them because six, the call comes in about 6 p.m. That's really when sunset is hitting. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to get to him. Uh, Ranger Faraday which is the ranger who was trying to find them. Mm -hmm. He could hear on the radio that Harold was doing CPR the whole time. And as he got closer, he used his whistle to locate Harold and Tony because Harold had a whistle as well and mm -hmm. flew back. Oh, that's smart. Yep. So they, the ranger arrives around 8 p.m. They're tag with whistles. Yeah, I they know. really are. When you go hiking, I just Create imagine a like whistle. a Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> she's in the water with the whistle trying to help people. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. I did learn that in Girl Scouts, too, to have a whistle on. So. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. There's one, on my, there's one on my hiking bag. No, see? I have one right here in my there you go. kitchen. Always have a whistle. <laughs> Always, Always be whistling. <laughs> Always be whistling. Yeah, okay. So it's been about two hours since he first calls 911. Harold started CPR again as the ranger uh, walked up. But once the ranger checked her pulse, he realized that she was dead mm. and her eyes were partially open. Mm. Um, he, yeah, he noted that Harold had, did start a small campfire in an attempt at a signal fire and Tony's head was wrapped and she was missing a shoe. Okay. 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 So since it's dark, Harold and Ranger Faraday hiked down the mountain while other rangers stays, stayed with Tony's body overnight. They had, like, blankets over her, try to just preserve the scene. Because mm -hmm. it's pitch black in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. There's no right. street lights. There's, yep. right, so they have to wait till morning. Rocky Mountains. Mm -hmm. Correct. I always forget, I mean, not you're forget. In the wild. You, you, like, it's a national park, but mm -hmm. it is also the wild. 
There's no yeah. There's no cell service. There's no civilization in the middle of it. There's You're rangers there. that kind of manage it, but that's like loosely man- like I don't Correct. I don't mean to insult any ranger by like loosely managing, but I mean there's there it's not like there. there's lifeguards on duty. There, exactly. Yeah. It's there's, not a lifeguard yeah. every twenty no. feet. It's like <laughs> you know I don't know exactly how. I feel like there need to be cameras, and yeah. there's no. Yeah, there's no cameras. Right. Right. It, it's you're in the wilderness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Pitch black wilderness. Ugh. So since it was dark, um, like I said, they had to wait till the next e- day to mm-hmm. do any investigation. So over the course of that evening, Harold texted and called uh, several family members and friends to inform them of what had happened, her condition along the way, mm. and then he eventually breaks the news that she's gone. Her parents, um, I believe they lived in, like, Mississippi. They were out of town. They were mm-hmm. out of state. Yeah, yeah. Harold and Tony left their daughter, Haley, who was 10 at the time, with a family friend. Um, so now her daughter is left motherless. Oh, my god! After this tragic accident. Hmm. So now it's the next morning. Lead investigator Paul Larson goes back to the scene to document it, see what's going on. Mm-hmm. That evening, the ranger, like I said, used blankets to cover her up and preserve anything, make sure nothing was moved. Smart. Her head was still wrapped. When he arrived, um, like I said, she was still deceased. She was deceased with her eyes open, so she was still in that manner when he came the next morning. <sighs> nothing had been disturbed. Well, that's good, yes. but that's also really creepy. creepy. Yes. Close those lids out creepy. of respect. <laughs> Just like the little <laughs> bleep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bloop, bloop. So he was able to locate the impact tree that Tony had hit on the fall down the mountain. Because there were freshly broken branches, hair, blood. This is what she hit on the way down. Yep. Small things, though, weren't adding up from the beginning when he's investigating. Um, They're not adding up to what Harold Harold says happened. Mm -hmm. This was not a normal hiking place like we had talked about. Um, They left the trail. They left the Deer Mountain Trail, you know, to get their romantic time, whatever, whatever. Um, and as he's investigating, like I said, the rangers didn't really know where he was. You had to know where this place was in order to be there. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just a, oh, here's a little trail of somebody's footprints. We'll follow it over here. No, like they literally just like cut off the trail and went uh, to this area. So which, you had to know it was there. Ugh. Which, oh, and, and was it, were they like experienced hikers? Would they have known that? Did, and did you find that on the research? Like, so we will talk about how okay. experienced they are, but they are not like a young 28 year old couple. Like they're in their 50s. Yeah, I would be going off any trail. It's like those trails, Colorado is not a, in my experience, it's, it's not so like. So just like a willy nilly explorer. You mm-hmm. have to know what you're doing. You yeah, can get hurt. It's you can very get lost. rocky. Like, <laughs> rocky. Uh-huh. It is. Ranch. But I mean, like, even just like. <laughs> even just like the gravel, like the. the, the it's not all grassy. It's not just right. dirt. It's not mm-hmm. soft like here in the Midwest. It's yeah. not. It's not, you know, grass. It's like rocks and mm-hmm. debris and and i mean there's vegetations but like it's not an even no. hiking path like uh, the hiking paths obviously are paths so they're probably mm-hmm. clear but if you're going you're if you're going off the trail path, going off trail it's uncharted territory you know there, it's not that's, walked over you better be having your boots on correct you get a rolling ankle and that's yeah. just what they'll do <laughs> one okay. of these days these boots they're all over yeah <gasps> Okay, so like I said, you had to know that the trail was there because there's no trail leading to the outlook spot. Like, there's no trail leading to where Mm -hmm. it's at. It's very steep. 
She was missing that shoe, which was located along her fall, and it was untied, and shoes don't typically untie during a fall. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're untied before the fall, that's one thing. Yeah, but, like, but if you're hiking fall, and you're on this outlet spot, your shoe comes <laughs> Correct, correct. No. So, her backpack was located close to her body, and the camera that she had been using for the entire hike to take pictures was also located near her head, and it was broken. Typically, these items you would see found near the impact area. So once you impact that tree in her case, boom, your camera, your backpack, your shoes fall off, and Mm -hmm. then you roll to wherever you're at. Yeah. yeah, which wasn't really the case mm-hmm. in this spot. In this. Wait, and they would know because they've, I'm Correct. sure, seen yeah. plenty of actual accidents. Yes. But did yes. but did the husband like grab this stuff when he went to go do like CPR on her and put it over there? So we will talk about it later. But okay. he does say that when he gets down to her, he does have to move her okay to to an area where it's more easily for him Flat. yeah to do CPR to do whatever he needs oh, to do. and that's scary too because yeah. really if somebody's fallen like that i mean obviously Terrifying. cpr is important but it's also a good form of like any medical training which mm-hmm. i don't claim those, to have you, keep them you don't can. move them yep. because mm-hmm. if say they had a broken back Correct. or broken neck you moving them could damage them. them more or yep. cause them excruciating pain yes. or but which i'm hoping she was unconscious yes. from the moment she, yep but you never know okay. so. so investigators also find a map in their vehicle it's a park map you know mm-hmm. there is um the deer ridge trail is highlighted with an x that said hike you know this is mm-hmm. what they're gonna hike yeah yeah but there's also another highlighted x just above the deer mountain trail in almost exactly the same spot that Tony fell. Weird. Mm. Very weird. Mm. Very suspicious. Don't be suspicious. suspicious. Yes. Don't be and this suspicious. dude was suspicious from the start. I'm so, gonna be it. I'm gonna be it. <laughs> that's Harold Hinthorn for you. Yeah. <laughs> so Harold. Rocky Mountain National Park, it's considered federal land. All national parks are considered federal land. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to try not to do this like the Law and Order SVU, but the detectives that investigate complicated felony crimes that happen on the 84 million acres of National Park territory are called the ISB, or the Investigative Services Branch. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Or dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun. Sorry. Oh my god, you had to practice that because yeah, I would not I did. Well, Every time I went that. to try to like read over it, I was like, why does this sound like the intro to Law and Order I would not have been able to do that effortlessly like you just did. I was like, can you do the actual Law and Order, uh... <laughs> in a world the, where in the detectives that investigate these heinous crimes yes! known as the special victims unit. Oh, oh. Yeah. Thank okay. you so much. So investigative services branch is who investigates these crimes that happen on federal <laughs> land. Um, the case gets passed along to ISB agent Beth Schott, who is an office of one woman pew, pew. herself. She's, she's pretty much a badass woman. bitch. She's pretty much a badass bitch in my opinion. Damn. I Damn, am the department. She is. I am the manager, I am the associate, I am the Can I the talk janitor. to your manager and she just turns around? Yeah, yeah. What happened? <laughs> oh yeah, let me go get them. This is a swivel. <laughs> yeah. But how can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> so, in the process of gathering information while the case is being passed over to the special agent, Agent Faraday, the first park ranger on scene. <laughs> Ma'am? Are yeah. you okay? Really? Okay. I'm so sorry, Danielle. What was happening there? I have my face down in my I'm notes so trying sorry. to be serious. Healer being assholes. And Healy's trying to undress. <laughs> she's so... She's just, let me 
talk to your manager? I, I said, okay, hold on. She lifts her shirt. Yeah. She lifts her shirt above her head and slides her glasses down with the shirt. <laughs> like smooth AF, but did not come out smooth AF. No, they got the whole mugful of wine just out my nose. Thank you very much. Can we be serious, ladies? Sorry. Five sorry. minutes. I'm sorry. I will turn this car around. I'll turn the story right around. No more cheese for you. I know. That's Where was line. I, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> it is your line. <laughs> That's my line. No cheese for you. No, no, no soup for you. No, yeah. no cheese for you. No cheese for you. Okay, so. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> back to seriousness here. Okay, okay. So Agent Faraday is the park ranger that was on scene first. Mm -hmm. He goes to Harold's home on October 1st, 2012 to interview him. You know, get his side of the story. Yeah, right. You know, more, whatever. It's been a couple days now. Right. Um, remember the broken camera that they located? Mm -hmm. yeah. The uh, SD card was still intact, so they were able to get all of the photos off of that. Camera's broken, not the memory story. So essentially, bitches. the last moments of her life are captured on oh camera here. Okay, okay. Oh no. In Harold's version of events, he says that she was walking rapidly towards the edge of the cliff because she said she saw turkeys, and the park rangers were like, um, I mean, we usually don't have turkey spottings, but I mean, okay. All right. Could happen, yeah. So then Harold says, well, no, wait, it wasn't turkeys, it was deer. She saw deer. And mm. so she's walking to the edge to see these deer. Mm. Then he says that he didn't actually witness her fall oh. because he was receiving a text from their babysitter that their daughter Haley had won her soccer game. That text was received at 5.54 p.m. Harold claims it took him 15 to 45 minutes to get down to her 15 body. 15 to 45 minutes. Depending on the source that you read. Mm. But he says he did not call 911 until he got down to her. So he gets this no. text at 5.54. He says this is the text he's receiving when she falls. Says it takes him 15 to 20, or fifteen to 45 minutes to get down to her. Calls 911 a minute later. So the times aren't adding up. No. Times are not adding if you, up. you, personally, if I'm on a freaking hike, off-trail hiking, mm -hmm. especially, again, being in Colorado hikes, the few times that I have uh again the height the trails themselves again there's the path there's there's a worn path but they're yeah. also again they're uneven you have to right. you still have to watch your step even yes. if you're used to it and if I were to see my loved one fall or mm -hmm. maybe not even witness them fall but if I thought that they yeah. fell and then at some because she fell off this cliff. Like, you would see them Correct. at the yes. bottom of wherever mm -hmm. they landed. Yes. Oh, my goodness. One, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have the knowledge or, like, the immediate instinct to call 911. But be I'd like, be fucking hightailing yeah. my way down mm -hmm. there yeah. as fast as possible. We'll get into Especially, what he says he does. And then, like, you later, yell but, at them. And yeah. you're like, and, yeah. but hey, I don't know. Yeah. Hey! Hey! Look at me! Like, <laughs> from them. <coughs> you don't see them moving. Okay, I feel that's when I would try. Okay, try now. And he says she falls 30 to 40 feet. Like, that's a lot. That's yeah. four stories. Supposedly. Yeah. Suppos supposedly. Oh my god. Oh what? my god. What does this supposedly mean? I mean, stop okay. it right now. Exact. Okay. 
Let her, let her go. So let times her. are not adding up. Uh-huh. Times are not adding are, up. Measurements are Harold up. also did not have an explanation for this X that was highlighted above the trail. And when he's when he realizes that the investigators are like questioning his story, he completely withdraws and stops conversation and Ooh. asks the ranger to leave. A what? I don't know how yes. to answer your questions. Yeah, completely just like mm, okay. I wasn't planning nope. those questions. So Agent Beth shot badass beach used the photos that they got from Tony's camera, the S D card. Ma'am. To recreate the couple's hike. Okay. She takes these photos and they literally like side by side like this put is the this. photo up, yep. this is the background, this is where they're at. Like they oh, literally hike. Digital it's, camera, yeah. it's still time stamped. Yes, Most yes. of those, I mean. And this was 2012. This was 10 years ago. Like, this was not that long ago. Yeah, this was good. Mm -hmm. So, they, like I said, they recreate the hike. She wanted to know how and why they ended up here. Like, because there's no path, there's no way of knowing that it's there. So, why are they there? The rock face that they climbed down to get to the outlook spot where she was looking at these turkeys or whatever she says she's looking for. Yes. Very steep, 60 degree incline. Oh. To get down there. Oh. You had you, 60 degrees. You're okay. either climbing or falling. So this hill is covered in boulders. It's covered. It's a rock face. It's yeah. not a trail. And it's 60 degrees. No. It's very hard to get to, even for experienced rangers. Tony and Harold were in their 50s. Yeah. Tony had knee issues. She's had knee surgeries before. They would have had to climb back up the 60 degree rock face, yeah. which does not make any sense. There's no way, there's just no way yeah. that they would see that and be like, yeah, that's doable. 60 degrees, you think yeah, 90 yeah, yeah, degrees? Yeah, 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 90 degrees. And you go just a little bit over, 45 degrees. degrees would be halfway down, 65 would be right in the middle. So that's freaking steep. That's steep for people in their 50s who have knee issues and it's a steep. rock face full of boulders. It's yeah. not that is just very a steep. Up. 90 degrees straight up and down, 60 degrees is videos, hardly a change. I watched videos of like these rangers getting down there and they're literally like rangers, going professionals. Down. Yep. They know what they're doing. Yep. Yep. Even they're having issues. <gasps> yes. So, initially, um, they were supposed to take a different trail, Harold says. He mm -hmm. says they're supposed to take, like, um, a shorter, more handicap-accessible trail with no elevation, mm -hmm. but decided last minute to do this Deer Mountain hike to avoid crowds. Mm -hmm. But the trail is already highlighted on his map. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they've already he's already got that ahead of time. So, it. so weird. Weird. There's also two separate but nearly identical photos of Harold taken 15 minutes apart on her camera. Like, literally identical. Mm -hmm. In both of them, Harold is standing on the ledge of this mountain, this outlook spot, and he is, like, death-gripping this tree. Like, you can see his hand holding, like, death-gripping this tree on yeah, this big scene yeah. outlook. Um, and this is literally the exact spot that Tony had fallen from. Mm -hmm. And so investigators are like, why are these pictures, like, 15 minutes apart? Like, is he trying to lure her over there? Like, yeah. oh, look, I took my yeah, picture, now I'll take your picture for you. Like, just weird. 15 minutes yeah. apart. I think the only difference on the on the pictures is one, he's just wearing a t-shirt, and the other one, he's got his flannel on him now. Okay. So it's weird. Super okay. weird. Okay. Okay. So now we get to the autopsy. Okay. Tony's okay. autopsy revealed just how gruesome her death was. <sighs> From the court records, it says... Tony tumbled down the rock face. Her fall was broken by a tree at the cliff's base, mm. which scalped hair and tissue <gasps> from her skull. Oh my god! It was gosh. a six by six inch scalping wound on wow. her head. Wow! 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 Correct. That is not a skinned knee. That's a skin scalp. Her brain was hemorrhaging. <laughs> really? 
and it really is. is. It really is. I mean, if you if you look back to his nine one one call, he says her main injury is a concussion. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm not. I'm so sorry, Danielle. I'm not trying to be disrespectful because this is a terrible. This is a terrible story. Okay, this is a terrible story. Okay, so she had this is basically scalped hair and tissue from her skull. Her brain was hemorrhaging. Her neck was fractured. She had blunt force trauma to her chest, abdomen, and pelvis. Her ribs were broken, and her chest was deformed with her liver and lungs lacerated and bleeding, oh and her skin that's was all, pale from blood loss. That's a hard... Okay, well, yeah, not only but external, but internal Main bleeding. is a head injury, concussion. Yeah, you know, you don't know about the internal bleeding. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it says, her liver you and lungs... You fall from that distance. Her chest was crushed, essentially. Uh, her chest was crushed, and her ribs... And her lungs were just... Well, yeah, because you fall... Well, I mean... Yeah. When you, when some, and granted, I'm going to assume her, she probably weighed average, maybe like 150, Yeah, 160. probably. Like, I mean, she's a healthy woman. Healthy yeah. woman, okay, in yeah. her 50s, whatever. And yeah. you, if you fall from that high of a distance to, you think 40 feet, hmm. 30 nope. feet. But it wasn't 30 or 40 feet. <gasps> what? I know I will talk about it later, but I just won't let you guys know. Okay. 128 okay. feet is how far Holy she fell. Holy shit. 128 feet is how far she fell. That guy sucks it. And he said sense. her main injury was a head injury. She had a concussion and she fell 30 or 40 feet. No. So she things are toppled. looking very, very suspicious and weird here for Harold. But it's going to get weirder. Let's talk about it. Okay. Let's talk the about pathologist it. noted that there weren't any signs of abrasions, contusions, or anterior rib fractures typically associated with the, with the performance of CPR. Yeah. So she you... has no injuries consistent with CPR. What? So he said he was going to do he it. He was and doing it the didn't. entire time, remember? He says he was doing it the entire time. So we'll go ahead and talk about mm -hmm. the testimony of Julie Sullivan. She was the dispatcher, basically, that answered the phone. Yep. Um, and he called 911 several times, so I don't yeah. know if it was the first person we heard on the original 911 recording or if it was mm -hmm. another call. But I don't mean to step you there. You're good. For anybody who doesn't know or has never had CPR training, what Danielle just said is correct. When you do CPR, it's different. For, like, okay, you see in the movies and people... There's use, no pressure in the movies. There's just, no pressure. Yeah. You oh, no. literally, for an adult, you have to push down at least two inches into their chest. At yep. least and two inches. And most of the time, people end up with rib fractures yep. after rib fracture. the performance you, if of you CPR. don't hear, because, I mean, again, side note, me, Danielle, and Keely have all been in the dental field, some sort of medical training. Mm -hmm. You're supposed We, we go CPR through certified. Yeah. CPR certified, and when as an adult, you're giving CPR, you are putting all of your weight onto a, this other person's chest because the yep. rib cage mm -hmm. is is doing what it's supposed to. It's, it's protecting their heart and their lungs. But when you're doing, when you're administering CPR, you have to break through that because what you're doing is manually Pumping helping the heart, yeah. the heart blood. Yeah, yeah. Pump blood. You're, you're helping the heart Pump blood, blood, which is helping yeah. the person 
regaining Regain, consciousness. Regaining and, consciousness, yes. gaining yes. oxygen through the blood. So anyway, side note, I just didn't, I didn't want us to skip yeah. over that part yeah. because yeah, when you give CPR, luckily you're going to have signs that, that you you had CPR. You administer. There's on going you. to be either some sort of fracture to the sternum, breaking of the sternum, or fractures or breaking of of the upper ribs Anything. from yeah, your absolutely. force. Okay, There's something's gonna go on. Something, yeah. and that's normal. That is yep. normal. That yes. is what you have. Like, if you don't do that, you're obviously not putting yeah. enough. You're force not going in deep to enough. help that yeah. person. Yeah. The dummies we had to practice on this year was intense. I hate that they click they when click. you go down far enough because it'll click yeah. once you go down yep. to two inches. Like, click. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, you were supposed like uh. they're unconscious, and yes, you are mm -hmm. technically going to be admin like. Ours had like a red, yellow, and green light above. It was oh, green, yeah, green light. You're hitting it yeah, right, and I yeah. was like, "Yikes!" And that's just intense. It mm -hmm. is intense. Okay, all right. Sorry. So, side note: I just wanted to yes. put importance on that. Like, yes. there, there should be, there should be evidence. There should be evidence. There should that have you been evidence. Perform CPR on yes. this person. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. No, Probably. you are fine because that is was necessary. That was a lot of people probably aren't CPR. Yeah, so yeah, don't you know, know. If you don't know that, if you don't know, you don't know. If and you don't know, now you know. Okay. From your friendly neighborhood dental assistants. Yes. Okay, so Julie Sullivan, she's the dispatcher for the Estes Park Police Department. She used standardized protocol to coach people through CPR over the phone, and she'd made about, like, 240 calls before the call that she had with Henthorne. Okay. Sullivan testified that her conversation with Henthorne was very unusual, and she identified several red flags throughout the process. Oof. In particular, she commented, and this is a quote from her, in my experience, when I'm doing CPR with somebody, guiding them through it, even if they are experienced people, nurses, and other people on the scene, they're extremely out of breath. Yeah. I found it unusual that he wasn't letting me know when he was completed with an instruction I had given him. A lot of, you know, every other call I've been with, the person wants to know immediately what to do next. Okay, I did my 30. What do I do next? What do I do next now? That was very unusual. Correct. That was very unusual, and I didn't feel like he was doing the CPR. Most people, because of the exertion of doing the CPR, the compressions, and also giving the breaths, it's very exhausting. Yes. I need to know when you're complete with it so we can go ahead and go on to the next instruction. And he was not letting me know after he completed any instruction. So I was prompting him to let me know. And also, we did have an open line. On all the other CPR calls that I've done through my career, I could hear them as they're doing the compressions on the patient because it's a lot of breathing. It's right. a heavy breathing. It's very exhausting, <sighs> mm -hmm. and it's hard to get up and even talk back. Yes. You're they right. have a hard time talking with me because they're so out of breath because of how exerted they are. You give the entire breath. You give You are you giving give, your you're, all into this because yes. you're trying to revive this person's mm -hmm. heart you and have don't to, start it with your pure muscle and your again, pure, pure force. Your pure muscle, pure force. And that's again, you are trying when you get when you do give breaths to somebody, you're giving all of your breath. In, in attempts to inflate their lungs. Correct. So again, you are correct. You are exhausted. It's exhausting. It's even just it's a even hard just becoming blow. certified. You can feel how exhausting it is, and you're only doing like a two minute increment. You yeah. know what I mean to get certified. You're not doing it for 30, 40, 50, an hour, two hours until somebody gets there yeah. by yourself. Yeah, by your like again, mm -hmm. protocol is if you are going to administer CPR, you do it. Until ambulance until or somebody help arrives. until help arrives, especially yep. at fifty-year-olds, fifty-year-olds who just fell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, how how old is she? Harold, Harold and her are both in their fifties. Yeah, so there, there's no way that he he did that not getting mm -hmm. out of breath. No, like until there's the person more. either regains. But wait, but wait, but wait, there's, there's more. more. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So Sullivan testified that based on her experience, she did not believe that Henthorne was doing the CPR. 
She did not think he was doing the steps with her, and he was not out of breath. That's why I asked if someone else was there on the scene with him, she said. I was wondering if somebody else was doing the chest compressions and the CPR. Wow. So, dispatcher doubts that he is uh, is doing CPR, and he has to turn off his cell phone on and off during these calls because he's got no, no data, he's got low battery, this, that, and the other. Okay? So, it's kind of like these two hours in between the time the ranger gets there and, oh you know, goodness. when she had fallen. It like it's long. Took two That's hours. That's a long, yeah. long time. Yep. So, his signal fire that we had mentioned, it was not a signal fire. It wouldn't have even passed as a small campfire, essentially. <laughs> so, that wasn't going to signal anybody. So, thankfully, he had his whistle. <laughs> yep. Shit. The good old whistle. Whistle! Investigators are very interested in getting Harold's cell phone records at this point because mm -hmm. things are looking very fishy for him. Yes. To recap... Court records estimate that Tony fell shortly before 5.15 p.m. Henthorne estimated it took him 45 minutes to call 911, including 15 minutes to reach her body and 30 minutes to access and move her, return to cellular coverage, and call 911. Oh, my God. So 45 minutes. Oh. First call, like I said, comes in at 5.54. Mm -hmm. At 6.16, Henthorne sends a text to Tony's brother, Barry, who's mm -hmm. a surgeon, he states that Tony was in critical condition after falling from a rock. EMTs were coming. Barry should catch the next flight. Cell phone batteries low. He exchanged several communications with 911 between the time of the first call and then until the ranger gets there. And there is absolutely no mention anywhere about the massive bleeding from her head. Oh, there's no mention. He doesn't talk about. He doesn't talk. Hi. <laughs> he doesn't talk about how. Um, he just says her, her main injury is a head wound. She has a concussion. Oh. And she's bleeding out from her head. She's got a scalping wound, and he never says that. Not once. Mm. So Harold, um, he's informing 911 dispatchers and Barry of Tony's pulse, her respirations throughout the ordeal. Um, these were also very inconsistent. And I'm going to read you something real quick. During the 911 call beginning at 554, Henthorne told the dispatchers that Tony had a head injury pulse of 60 to 80, and respirations of 5 to 8 per minute. Mm -hmm. He later, sometime between 616 and 639, tells Barry that her pulse was 60 and respirations 5. At 632, he tells dispatchers that her breathing was shallow and he was about to start CPR. But given her injuries, Dr. James Wilker... Yeah. Given the injuries, the coroner, he's qualified by the court as an expert forensic witness, mm -hmm. he estimated at trial that Tony died between 20 to 60 minutes after her fall. Oh, wow. And was therefore almost certainly dead by 6.15 p.m. Wow. Super yeah, for, yeah, from that distance yep. of a fall and that amount. a large fall. There, he was, and if it really took him that long to get down there, she was essentially probably almost dead by the time he got down there. Yeah. And so he's yeah. just making all this shit up. Like, yeah, why? Like, external and internal. Very bleeding. weird. Internal very, bleeding. Very, and he's sure. not making note of these major injuries on her body. Uh, well, quick question, because you did mention that it was dark. He did have a flashlight. Okay, okay. He did well, have a flashlight, and he started that small campfire, so he was able to see. It okay. was visible. Well, then him. I take back what I was about to ask. It's okay. It's okay. Because I'm like, oh, if it was too dark, maybe he didn't it's see okay. it, but... I don't know. So... Fooled you. It, it, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, that, and then, like, I mean... Giving when she him, fell, though, it was light out. Yeah. But I'll say Giving that. the okay. person, like, benefit of the doubt, like, even in an emergency situation... Okay. Obviously, he's fishy. Yeah. Dexter... Suspicious Dude's and yes, yeah, suspicious and like noty as hell. But like I think like in a panic, I don't know if I would notice that right away. Or I don't know. Okay, I don't know if I've noticed it for 
correction, I don't know if I would check for that right away, especially not having any sort of like knowledge mm-hmm. to check for that. But eventually, I mean, I if, would probably say something about her massive bleeding that's coming out of her head, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that the massive would be bleeding. She's bleeding. Out not, of her it's head. not a concussion. I don't know what that she. I don't know what to it's do. Just a little bit of blood. No big that's deal. one thing. Yeah, for sure. Somebody's bleeding. I'd be like, she oh was, my god, she get was here. Out. <laughs> you know, like first of all, if somebody's out. massively bleeding, I don't know if I'd be. Available. Yeah, Kelly, Kelly would be passed out. My I would be like, oh no, but. I don't know. That that's like a She she just fucking rob, the robot glitched out. <laughs> circuit break. Um I'd be passed out next to the person and by the time yeah. like You're I'd gonna need two helicopters because I'm out too. Or she didn't even call the police. I she would just... have such an adrenaline rush from the panic, I'd be fine. Right. right. I don't know. I luckily I'm luckily gonna, I'm gonna, I've never been yeah. in that situation. Don't you fucking say I'm gonna pretend to be in that Knock situation. Because... Would you rather? Yeah, <laughs> Keely is the queen of this. Would, Would you, you rather, rather scrape your bare labia on the pavement on a hot summer day? Yeah, or get your nipples pierced with a crab's claw? Yeah, seriously. Neither. Thank you. I'm going with the crab's claw. Honestly, uh, I probably would too. I probably would too. That's not an, that's not an even pairing. I should say. But you're the pairing master, Kelly. So yeah, that sounds Ooh, that was good. Wow. That was a good transition. I really tried. I really tried. Air But it is, I'm not transitioning to cheese break, so it was a little early. Uh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Duped. Okay, good so. Good job. So, we're... T- so, Harold actually sent and received almost 100 texts that evening, even wow. though he could not what? stay on the phone with 911 because he said he didn't have cell service and his battery was low. Hmm weird mm. he was even able Suspicious. to give a friend specific instructions on where to pick him up that evening mm. after tony's death no you should take this route instead of that one because it'll be less traffic or it'll be easier for you to get up here yeah yeah oh, oh, investigators oh. were not the only ones getting off vibes from harold ron cobble he was contacted by Her- harold to be the funeral officiant for tony's funeral Wait, on that day? No. So oh, like like later. a couple okay. days after. I was like, it was. okay, okay. Actually, he's, actually, if that was... he's on the trail, and they're like, "Yeah, you wanna?" No, this <laughs> was like I'm um, ready for this. Probably the next day, or the day after. Wow. In the thirty-six hours after, okay, Kelly, if you don't want to hear what I'm saying, I'm sorry. throw I'm just, shit. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, side note, guys, we have a little light that I turn on. To let everybody else in the household, besides the dogs, because they don't give a fuck. They're colorblind. Uh, that, we're that, <laughs> that we're recording. That we're recording. Words are hard, guys. We should put that on a sticker and sell it. <laughs> Talk about whistles. I got. I don't got a whistle, but I got a recorder over here. Anyway, Anywho. I just dropped. The, the red light. The red light, because the red light's not working, and I'm trying to get it to work. So she's beating the shit out of it on Pretty the much. table to turn it on. I just prompted. it. Okay. okay so sorry, sorry, Danielle. In the 36 it's hours... so disrespectful for you in your case. After her death, Harold put together an entire video <laughs> montage of 70 pictures specifically picked out for her funeral. This made Ron feel as though Harold had probably been planning this for a while to already have all these pictures put together. Very weird. Hmm. The entire funeral was planned by Harold, and he even had assigned seating, which put Assigned? It put Tony's family in the back. (gasps) What? Yes. That doesn't make any sense. Stop it right now. No. They were placed in the back, 
and they were extremely back of the bus to you. They were extremely disrespected at the fact that Harold was in every single one of these photos he picked. And there was no photos from Tony's childhood, none of Tony's family. It was as though her life began when she <gasps> met Harold. That is so gross. Sad. Yeah, sad too. Her family <laughs> also stated that they never saw him cry. And he was even voicing his disdain about the investigation, stating, quote, Tony had to go and get herself killed on federal land <laughs> at her funeral. He's what joking. Is that even? She had to go get herself killed on federal land. Now they're investigating it. Well, yeah. shame at on her. Funeral. How dare she? How dare she go and fucking die? Wow. On federal land. You couldn't die yes, in the privacy of your own home? The audacity. He was also adamant that Tony wanted to be cremated. Oh. And her family was like, no, the fuck she didn't. No. But he's the husband. And he gets to say. Mm. So that crushed them. Hey, just so you guys know, I want to be cremated. I, I do as well. I do too. Okay, perfect. No, actually, that. just kidding. I don't oh. want to be cremated. Or you can make me into a tree or something. Yeah. Do something cool. You... I... Go ahead. What? Go ahead. I... I don't know. We're, me and Keely looking at each other like we know, but... You guys are like staring dazingly in each other's no. eyes. I do. I would... Pr if, if my two only choices, which are obviously popular choices, to be buried or cremated, I would choose cremated... But then, I don't know, I would leave, like, oh, either, oh, wait, oh, okay, okay, okay. Kelly, stop it. Either cremated, or I would donate my body to scientific use. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's another I'd one. I'd be I'd about do that. that. If you all haven't read the book Stiff by, I don't know who the author <laughs> is, read it, because it's an excellent book. Is that Especially, the name of the author, is I don't know who the author no, is? No, 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 no. <laughs> the, the book is called Stiff. I read it in There's college. There's a book or a movie called it Body Farm, too. It is so good. And that documentary is intense. It really it is. is. Yes, okay. Teenager. Stiff. That's what's wrong with me today. And um, <laughs> it's The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers, by, written by Mary Roach. Oh, okay. Okay. It is a very interesting book. Um, read it. I'll put and, that on my list. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, it's nothing. It's not scary. It's not like anything. But it, it goes through the different, I say, quote unquote, lives of what happens. Um, and it is. It is actually kind of a funny book in some of the stories. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, anyway, anyway. So I would, I would do either cremation or donate my body. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, where was I? Cremation, we cremation. Yes. Here we are. Okay. Yes, sorry. My dad's actually on my shelf after he got cremated, so. Hey, Dad. Anyway, it took the coroner three months to complete Tony's death certificate. He ruled her death undetermined, and he put he cannot exclude homicide. Wow, 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 wow. He actually had never written that before on that death certificate, which is why it took him so long. Because, it's heavy, because, like, mm -hmm, yeah. Cannot exclude homicide. That's, that's... Weird. A heavy non-accusation. That's the most passive way of saying yeah. I think the dude did it. Yeah. The Herald retains a criminal attorney. He cuts off communication with the investigators because obviously they're not believing him. They know that he's lying. So yes. he doesn't want anything to do with them. Yes. So the investigation really takes off when investigators receive a letter from an anonymous source wow. telling them that they should really look into Harold's first wife, Sandra Lynn, who had died in what Harold called a car accident in 1995. Harold called it a car accident. They actually received 17 anonymous letters 
pointing to the similarities between the two tragedies. Ooh, Isolated locations, suspicious accidents. Harold is the only witness with no injuries. So investigators, they start to look back at Harold's past and had his first marriage. In May of 1995, Lynn died while she and Henthorne were changing a tire on the side of the road. She was crushed under the car and died from internal injuries. Uh, court documents, this is what they say on it. They say Henthorne's first wife, Lynn, died from internal injuries consistent with traumatic asphyxiation after being pinned under a vehicle. The incident occurred in May 1995 when she and Henthorne were changing a tire on a remote highway approximately 30 miles from their home in southwest Denver. Yes. The couple pulled over on a gravel slope alongside the road in a heavily forested area. It was dark, there was no cellular service, there were no houses nearby, and the nearest hospital was a 40-minute drive. Several suspicious facts about the incident are noteworthy. For example, the tire the couple stopped to change was not flat, but merely low, and was measured at about 34% pressure. They could have drove on the... The spare tire that they sought to replace it with was measured at only four pounds more, so 43%. Uh, oh my God. Other tires on the vehicle were also low. Um, they were at approximately 61 to 68%. Okay? Side note, ladies, know how to change a tire and know yes. when to view a flat because yes. your man might be trying to kill you. Yes. That's what I'm getting exactly. right Exactly. A local mechanic coincidentally drove by the couple around 9.30 that night and asked the Henthorns if they needed any help. Even though Henthorn had only a small flashlight and would later claim he did not know how to change a tire, he declined the mechanic's offer to shine his headlights on the scene or otherwise help change the tire. What? Half an hour later, around 10 p.m., Henthorn flagged down another car and told the occupants the car had fallen on top of his wife. They drove back up the road to try to find a house and call 911, but when they could not find a phone, they returned to the scene to help. Two men were able to lift up the car and free an unconscious Lynn. Then Henthorn angrily screamed at them not to touch her. Over Henthorn's objections, they started CPR and got her breathing again. Meanwhile, another passenger left the scene to try to find a phone, and they returned with blankets after they called 911. Emergency vehicles eventually arrived, and Lynn was airlifted to a nearby hospital, but died in surgery due to her internal injuries. Henthorne later told inconsistent stories about the incident. Weird. Weird. For example, Henthorne told... I know. He seems like a really honest guy. He's an honest Abe. Henthorne told an emergency responder that Lynn was changing the tire, but he told others that he was changing the tire. He told officers he used boat jacks to prop up the car because he had tried the regular jack but could not get it to work even after he lubricated it. No lubricant or oil was found at the scene. What did you lube it with? Chapstick? Henthorne also suggested that he got Lynn out from under the car and started CPR without any mention of the passerby who actually were the ones to pull her out and start CPR. Oh my God. And he went back and forth between whether he and Lynn were going to or from dinner. When law enforcement asked Henthorne whether Lynn's life was insured, he disclosed only one of the multiple life insurance policies he would collect on. He ultimately collected $600,000 of life insurance, wow. including proceeds from a policy that went into effect only two and a half months before her death from an accidental death clause that doubled the benefit from $150,000 to $300,000 in the event that she died in an accident. Does that not seem shady to you in general? A couple days after the incident, one of the Good Samaritans who stopped to help law enforcement, she called them to voice her suspicions and ask if Henthorne had been arrested. While law enforcement briefly investigated her death as a suspicious incident, they eventually determined her death was an accident, despite the unusual circumstances. 
For example, even though a sheriff's deputy photographed a suspicious shoe print atop the car's fender, potentially suggesting that the car had been pushed off rather than fallen from the jacks, the inve and investigators took a photograph of, the sh of Henthor's shoes for comparison, that comparison was never made, and the investigators also never challenged his inconsistent statements, and they ruled her death an accident. Yeah. So they get, these, shady. they get these letters, and they look into her death, and essentially, they're driving in this isolated place, stop shaded tire, he throws the tire into the back of the car, at the same time she's bending down to get a lug nut that had fallen under the car, and it falls. That's his version of the story. Okay. Tragic accident. So, tragic. It, if you're not looking at the backstory here of all these people that tried to help. Yeah. What so, the hell? Investigators decide once again that they're going to go ahead and recreate this scene that Harold says happens. Because they're going to try to match up and make it out. Make, make what he says happened, happened. They yep. want to make sure that the, if this is an accident, it's an accident. No matter what they do, they're not able to get that car to fall off the jacks. And he used two boat jacks. So a regular jack obviously is meant for jacking up a car. Right. These boat jacks are more like, they like showed pictures of it, but it's a more of like a hydraulic thing. Like you, it's just, yep. and it's not meant for a car. So he right. used two. They're unstable. This is not meant for a car. The vehicle was parked in an area where the slope would not have allowed anything to roll into the car. Yep. And Lynn's hands were very clean and they didn't have any dirt in them or oil suggesting that she was digging around in the dirt for a lug nut that had fallen. Mm. The investigators, they can only make the car fall from placing their foot on the wheel well yep. and pushing. Yep. That is the only way they can get that car to fall in the exact way he says it does onto Lynn. And Lynn is laying on her stomach and it falls like directly in the middle of her back. Uh, yeah. Is it, just like pinning her. Yes. Pins her to the ground. Unfortunately, like they said, the print was not matched up to his shoe, so there's really nothing they can do at that point. Right. But they realize that the only different. way this car is falling off the jack is if you push this car off the jack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the coroner does change Lynn's cause of death from accidental to undetermined. Mm -hmm. Investigators look into the life insurance policies. They realize that Harold is set to receive around $4.7 million from several different policies, naming him as the beneficiary for Tony's death. $4.7 million. Wow. They also realized also, that Also, why would you have so many life insurance policies out onto one person? A couple of them were through the same company, too. Wow. Weird. I think that's suspicious. That? I think that's weird. Like, yeah. I don't understand. I, and maybe I'm ignorant, but I don't understand why you would have one. Well, why would you have more than one? I don't know. It's weird. Why? It's weird. What's the point of that? That shmoney. Shmoney. I, I mean, I get the shmoney part, but I'm like, I don't understand. Coming from an actual, I don't know if the word innocent view of it is, but like, what? I don't know. Like, it's silly. Uh, to me, that's silly. I don't understand that. I don't understand why you would have multiples out on one person. It's like Harold was, uh, I think, life insurance happy, honestly. Yeah. Because. I know in some cases, like. So Harold is life insurance happy. Yes, he is. Because investigators also realized that he had created a policy for a woman named Grace Rochelle. She was Lynn's... Who's Grace? She was Sorry. Lynn's sister-in-law. So Lynn, his first wife, her brother's ex-wife. Okay? So his ex-wife... His ex-sister-in-law, okay. essentially. His ex-wife's sister. Ex-sister-in-law, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Linda yes. already died. So basically, he stays like in contact with her after Lynn's death. Like she's got three or four daughters, um, and her marriage was rocky between Lynn's brother. So he basically like stepped in, and was like took family pictures with them, like went on vacations with oh. them. But like there were, it was not a romantic relationship. Platonic. It was not romantic. It was basically like he was like their step in dad, or like okay. he was trying to be, mm-hmm. in a weird uncle way. And would call Grace all the time, like, oh, you don't have time for me anymore? And she's like, no, I just don't have time to sit on the phone with you for four hours while you talk to me. Like, so anyway. Oh, you talking so, at me. So he told her that the daughter, that her daughters were the beneficiaries on this life insurance policy. Yeah. And after they have this falling out because she doesn't want to talk to him all the time, she doesn't want to move to Colorado with him, because he tries to get her to move up there. Like, you know, I'll get you started with the business, you know, because she just gets divorced, know, all that stuff. I'm good. So they I'm have this falling out. He assures her that he cancels the policy. He's like, I don't have this policy anymore. The lie detector determined that was a lie because he never, he never canceled the policy and he was still listed as the beneficiary for a $400,000 life insurance policy on this woman who had no idea until the investigators came to her door. Because the investigators came to her to be like, are you like his mistress? Like, why does he have a life insurance policy on you? Which and he's she, paying for. Which he, he purchased it. He's purchasing. He's paying towards it. Essentially, yeah. Uh, but it's for her. Shasty shit, dude. But we're going to take a cheese break. Oof. Cheese. 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 Oh my goodness. Okay, so I guess we're stopping there, Danielle, and going on to a cheese break, even though I am, like, really invested in this. I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more, but... I need more. I need more. But I also want to tell more. So, again, we are in the Colorado Rocky Mountain area, did some deep diving, and, you know, I didn't really know this, but, again, Colorado has, like, a pretty thriving cheese scene. Poppin' cheese. Did you mean mean skydiving? Cliff diving? Yeah. No, ski. Now you're getting me all messed up. (laughs) Cheese scene, okay? Jeez Louise, okay? It is. Yeah, jeez. Cheese Louise. Cheese Louise. Cheese skiing. Cheese skiing. I don't know. Um, Colorado is really, I wouldn't say well known, but in my research, because I was trying to think, oh, well, if there's like a certain type of cheese that's really prominent in this mm-hmm. area, or is there like a specific cheese shop or something mm-hmm. like that. And I, what I found was that Colorado, again, is very very much kind of like a, a mix of like very outdoorsy people and very artsy, yeah. artisanal. You get your yeah. one-off, you're very creative. Mm-hmm. And people again, they're just like, I like hiking, I like skiing. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Craft beer. I like smoking weed. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay. There you go. That, uh, as, well. as well, as well. I gotta be the one to bring it in. Okay? Colorado we, gotta, we can't forget. About I mean, not don't forget the marijuana. Exactly. How can you? You wanna smoke some weed? Yeah. You want a popsicle? I want to smoke some weed. <laughs> anyway. Um, Poke some smoke. <laughs> Colorado has a really interesting or really prominent cheese scene. And when I say cheese scene, I don't mean like a, any certain type, like a cheddar, mozzarella, Swiss. There's Gouda. No, yeah, there's no Gouda. Um, but they're really, no, they have a lot of different cheese shops and they're I would say, I would say... Not to be well, confused with a cheese plant. Yeah, Tim. exactly. Tree, yeah. Tim. <laughs> We're going to do, like, personal shout-outs for our guy, I Tim. I'm sorry, I can't. I need it. Two I episodes. need it. I need it. <laughs> two episodes and we're calling him out? Yeah, I love it. We're about to lose our big 
I really look no. forward to his, if anything, his reviews during if the week. Anything, we can put his reviews on blast. I really day. love them. <laughs> Tim Stacks. Tim Stacks. Okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, okay. I'm so sorry. Colorado it has a lot of artisanal artisanal cheeses, artisan cheese, which if any of you don't know, which I wasn't really familiar with either, but artisan art, artisan cheese. I can't. There you go. It's a hard word. Words are hard. Words are hard. Um, artisan cheese usually is a Especially cheese or special type of cheese that is produced primarily by hand in small batches. So it's not necessarily fancy cheese. Oh, it's like, you know, not like cheese with peppers or, you know, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have to be a special herb blend or a special flavor. Mm -hmm. But artisan cheese is mostly the cheese produced by either small batch creameries, a lot of things made by hand, like things you would probably, I, I don't mean to say it always, but like, you know, farmer market cheese, yeah. like, mm -hmm. they, like smaller owned where they don't want to, these cheese makers don't want to do large production. It's like a mom and mass pop produce. Yeah, yeah. Mom, more mom and pop shops, yep. more, more locally sourced cheese from, you know, their goats, cows, whatever, however you're making your cheeses. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, attention is a lot of artisan cheese, attention in that type of cheese is paid is paid to aid age old traditions, so they a lot of traditional made cheeses. Um, use of mechanization is avoided as much as possible during the production of the cheese. Um, you get a, you do get a lot of complex flavors, aromas. Um, artisan cheeses is not only just about the flavor, but the actual visual representation so how they market it how they package it mm -hmm. again it's their what they're producing isn't just the product but how you perceive it and like your overall experience of it okay. as well so yes. it, it becomes a, a work of art the cheese art it's, yeah as you would Absolutely. i found that you know um artisan cheese really didn't become you said it right there Boom. See, wow. nailing it. And you didn't eat artisan cheese. Huzzah! <laughs> is. Because I want to say artisan. Yeah, I know. See, now you're making me think about it again. Stop. Okay, sorry. Anyway, continuing. Artisan cheese has always been, you know, prevalent throughout history. Not, I mean, I don't want to say like cheese has always been man made production and high produced <laughs> things. Produce. Government cheese. America. But like America. Like, I mean, there's always been the America. small batchers, there's yeah. always yeah. been those local makers. But, but that's it really, really what Colorado is good for. Yeah, it really didn't become like a thing where like, oh my goodness, it, it didn't make it didn't become like popular to be like a small batcher, artisan cheese maker, uh, and up until like maybe I would say like around the nineteen seventies in the U.S. Because again, mm. you think about like prior to the seventies, what was happening? We were doing war. We were doing war. We were in war. We were doing war. Fucking war. We were doing war. We had war, we had recession, we had another war, we had, I mean... It, and a had... partridge in a pantry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it wasn't really until the 1970s did this really become a notarized thing to be like a small badger, to be in, to be known as a, I'm an artisan cheesemaker. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I don't just have a cheese factory, but no, I just make it, I just make it for the small batch. Just make, yeah. I make it locally. Um, I'm craving the, this kind of cheese this exactly. week. Next week I'm going to exactly. do a little spin and do this. You know? By like, the 1980s, the U.S. still had very few artisan cheesemakers. 
Um, again, we don't, they don't like to be considered necessarily producers because they're not really focusing on high production, but the overall enjoyment of their cheese. Um, and like by like, you know, 1983, American Cheese Society was funded, which is a nonprofit organization that promotes and supports American cheese and its availability to everyone involved in the trade or simple passion about the cheese made society or artisan cheeses. So I thought that was really cool. And by the 2000s, by two, early 2000s, the number, number of artisan cheese makers in the U.S. has doubled. So we're slowly oh. getting there. I mean, again, it's it's like the this. it's the in thing to not be popular, which I like. And I don't know about you, I mean, but honestly, I, I kind of like that. I, I really really enjoy it. I so with that, I was kind of looking up different artisan cheese makers, local shops, that sort of thing. I got a whole list of places, um, kind of like a little everywhere. There is one of uh, it should be true to ours. There's a shop called. So damn Gouda. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, the owner, so Mike Gouda. <laughs> Keller, I think it's K-E-Y-L-E-R, is actually, or was a... Keeler? Keeler? Maybe? Keeler? I don't know. K-E-Y-L-E-R? I don't know. Mike. Keebler. Yeah. Mike. Hey, Mike. A former Olympic Nordic hey. ski jumper. Hey. So, again, he's, like, really into sports. Uh, tr- turned chef. And then turn cheesemonger. So after his Olympic years, he's like, oh, I'm going to razzle-dazzle into some, some being a gourmet chef. I would and really then like kind of like really specialized right. into cheesemongering, so like cheesemaking. After cheese leaving the world of professional athletes, again, like he was like, hey, I'm going to focus on food. And I'm like, who the fuck wouldn't? I mean, mm-hmm. after after doing, I mean, personally, I'm not an athletic, athletic person, but like once you made your mark, um, what else are you passionate about? Yeah. This guy's cheese. So I, you know, cheese he, uh, and murder. Yes, cheese and murder. There's also it. other. That's his next step. Yeah. Cheese and murder. That's his next step. He's <laughs> coming after us. It's like, I got the cheese now. Yes. It's time. <laughs> Which is like mostly uh, his so damn good is, is kind of based out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, he actually bought in 2018 a previous cheese shop. Uh, cheese and provisions, and kind of renamed it as So Damn Gouda, which I mean, uh, come on, girls. Who, who I'm really you? sad that we missed the mark on that one, yeah, but I mean, a so Gouda good. murder is really good as well. Yeah, it it's is. really Gouda. <laughs> it's really Gouda. It's really Gouda. Yes, okay, exactly. Well, now I'm offended that you don't think that it's so good. Uh, no, my not. brain's malfunctioning. Just forget anything. We I just also said. have different Frickin shops rude. within the Colorado Colorado Springs area. There's there's a a shop artisanal cheese shop in Longmont Colorado that's called Cheese Importers Warehouse, which is that they're a wholesaler that features more than 350 varieties of cheese. That's a lot of cheese. Why not? Dang. 350. It is. It, it states. They it's state to be the day. largest cheese and uh, one of the largest cheese. And I know there's a type of like it's uh, salumi. Uh, S-A-L-U-M-I. I'm probably butchering it. But sal- is that salami? Yeah, it no, it's like not salami. Salumi, walk-in refrigerator. The largest cheese in salumi walk-in refrigerator, which I thought was kind of cool. It's only 20 minutes from Lyons, Colorado, which is, again, on your way to the Rocky Mountain Park. So, I mean, these guys probably, like, you know, passed by this cheese shop and didn't even think about it. Maybe they would have, maybe they brought some on the hike. Maybe, maybe, maybe they stopped and brought some on the hike. They got sandwiches. Maybe they they see it from from, uh, the deer 
Yeah, they deer, deer, the deer trail. The deer mountain trail. There's also a shop called St. Killian's Cheese Shop. They're in North Denver and within the Highlands neighborhood. And they're well known for uh, the forefront of the cheese movement in Denver, which I'm like, Ooh. cheese movement? Hello, how how did I miss that? Really? Known as... They're, yeah, they're known as area experts and sell a vast selection of cheese and local global sources, as well as, you know, specializing in charcuterie items such as cheese, breads, the meats, whatever. Charcuterie. And there's also a, uh, an area called the Haystack Mountain Creamery. Creamery. Crematory, is, I thought you were about creamery. to say. I'm like, creamery. Did you get some cheese <laughs> on the way to the crematory? Yes. <laughs> we, did talk, we did we Dad. did talk about our preferences so i want to be cremated yeah. in the creamery yeah. <laughs> Jonah calls the cafeteria of the cemetery so. yeah. okay we're getting a little too dark okay. here so here there's haystack mountain creamery <laughs> founded by this gentleman jim and his wife that's my dad's uh, who, name jim hello it's my dad's name Hey, Dad. It's a gentleman named Jim Scott. Stop bringing up dead dad. Making yeah. He's been making cheese since 1980. I'm just powering through you guys. It's okay. 1988. Uh, basically, Jim and his wife bought five goats and six acres of land in oh. Newark, Colorado. And within a year, they were making handmade goat cheese um, that were being sold in various farmers markets lo into local chefs. Um, gradually gaining more momentum so in 88 they started out by 1992 goods were being made um, and being sold at bigger markets to local restaurants and now they have one of Colorado's largest I don't want to say production but like one of Colorado's most known artisan cheese makers you can buy their goods in all sorts of areas such as like natural uh, natural Grocers, Na nature's oh, grocers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have one out here, and I was like kind of hopeful that I was going to be able to find cheese out here in Iowa um, from yeah. Colorado, but no, that didn't happen, which yeah. I was really sad about. But I mean, it's, yeah. it's the quad cities. So. <laughs> yeah, it's quad cities. Uh, they also have gotcha. Colorado also has the Art of Cheese, which is a cheese making school that offers. Stop. Yes. 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 Not only not only do they offer live, but they also offer virtual classes. Let's go. They're based out it? of Longmont, Colorado, and they are they also in addition to live virtual classes, they also offer hands-on private classes to small groups. I need I need it. So, I mean, if you guys are, you know, up for like a road trip, I mean, Longmont, Colorado, that's you know, less than an 18 hour 18 hour drive. Google it. <laughs> I mean, Pretty long way. Yeah. yeah, a drive a drive from here to Colorado Springs is about eighteen hours. So, I've driven that. that far. If you close your that. eyes and let me drive, we'll get there in like twelve. <laughs> I would be down. I hate fucking driving. But Danielle's eyes just—you like, <laughs> have to drive me home tonight. Yeah, like, what are you driving about? And and my daughter up after this. Yeah, also, if she closes her eyes, she'll be fine too. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So talking about artisan cheese today we are going to be doing just that so they're not exactly from these shops of course that i've listed but there's so many colorado has a gazillion artisan shops for cheese one of which i've actually been to while i was in colorado it is called the truffle cheese shop it was super stinking Ooh. cute it's in denver they're the longest running store in denver and 
I I remember going there um, actually once. It's so funny. Once oh when uh, Andy and I went to Colorado, we unbeknownst to me, we went there for a week long trip and we ended up getting engaged. Oh, wow. we got engaged at the Stanley Hotel in Esses Park. So when I talked about it earlier today, we went to Stanley Hotel. I cannot. We went to the Stanley Hotel. Stayed the night, got a room there, went through I their tour. The same room. Super stinking, and it wasn't. But our room was so How do you know? Yeah, I, okay. You don't I want to You know, Jack. Yeah, I don't. How would they know? I don't know. But I did stay at their, their hotel. It's beautiful. It's actually stayed in the restaurant in the bar that, yeah. uh, I almost said Jim Carrey. Oh my goodness. Stephen King. I don't know why. Oh, That Stephen King, because so Stephen King stayed at the Stanley Hotel, and that's where he was inspired yes. to write. The Shining. the Shining. So we went to the bar and restaurant Amazing. where he visited. Oh, you're which right. Which also, again, inspired him to write the scene of the gold ballroom. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that they've done more work to it since then because, you know, mm-hmm. when Stephen King there, he was there, it was like back in, you know, like the 70s, 80s. Amazing. You know, a, a hot minute since the time that we were there. Anyway, um, and then we went back to Colorado and went to this cheese truffle shop after our honeymoon. So okay. wow! So I've been in the cheese scene, the Colorado Denver scene, and so for today we are going to eat some artisanals cheese. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got it. You got it. Yep. And the cheese that I've got for us today are two cheeses. So I have a goat cheese and a cheddar cheese. So this goat cheese is a Vermont creamery goat cheese. It is made with wild blueberry lemon and thyme, mm. which I don't know if you've ever, it's either of you have ever time. had lemon goat cheese. Fucking fire. Yeah, goat cheese is a very distinct taste. It's a softer cheese, but I saw the blueberry and lemon, and I'm all about that fruit and lemon. The thyme will be delicious as well. And we also have a... Uh, Black Creek Creamery or Black Creek uh, Cheesery Cheese, Cheesery Cheese, and it is a cheddar cheese with notes of Parmesan. It is kind of like more uh, with cheddar cheese as we've talked about before. A boat, a boat. There's that accent I talked about before. It is kind of it is a more firmer cheese, but also Parmesan is even more of a harder cheese. So the cheddar that we have is firm. I would say more firm than what we've had before because it does have notes of Parmesan. It is it is a more of a hearty cheese. So I have a couple crackers. So take that. Yeah, we're already crisp. These girls are trying to break this cheese right here in front of me. We have this cheese. We're just feeling it for you. Yeah. We're just being a yes. smart ass from yes. the last episode. And that's okay. It's totally worth it. Like, it feels a little It's a little soft. soft. So it is a harder cheese, especially again, cheddar is harder cheese, a more firmer cheese, but also with the Parmesan as well. So we have these tomato basil triscuits. Let's take a bite. Take a bite, ladies. Oh. Oh. Mm. Definitely get more of a sharp taste with the Mm -hmm. cheddar and Parmesan. You can definitely taste the Parmesan in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely taste it. Delicious. Okay. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So not only, we're not just eating the cheese, but we're pairing it with wine, because mm-hmm. duh, that's what you do. Oh, no. And so we, uh, the ladies brought over, I didn't pick it out, they, I told them the type. So typically, with a goat cheese, which is what we're trying to pair it with, 
um, goat cheese, typically pairs with other wines, but we got a Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. That was so fancy. Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. I couldn't Blanc. say it. Blanc. It is a bread and the brand is bread and butter. Sauvignon Blanc. 2020, 13% alcohol. Yeah, Bitch, me is... and Keely in that hype, we're like, 13%? Yeah, someone's getting crunk tonight. Oh my it's a screw top, so we're going to open this up. Wow. Can you do the, um, ping? Oh, well, it's already flick done. Flick it, it, it off. I don't want it. No, that was I'm beautiful. Pour, okay. So, okay. So, we're going to, I'm going to pour this, I'm going to pour this out here. Oh, oh my gosh, what a heavy pour. It's wine. We talking about there ain't no such pour. thing as a heavy pour with this. Say it, Keely. What? Somebody's saying sapphire. That too. Sapphire blanc. Okay. Gonna give all of us ladies a glass. And then oh, I get the square glasses because I'm square? Yeah. Don't be a square. Don't be a square. Okay. Wait, wait, we're not clinking. Okay. Wait, wait. We gotta get the goat cheese, okay? So I have the goat cheese, the lemon, and I have, I'm gonna just put it on the basic, basic cracker, the Ritz, because I don't want it to get blended with. You dropped a blueberry. My gumdrop button. There you go. Do you know the muffin man? The muffin man? The muffin man? The one who lives on Jerry Lane? Well, she's married to the muffin man. The muffin man? You guys, um, you never seen side note, you're welcome. Yes, yeah, side note, it is a little past both all three of our bedtimes. We're not a late, I, yeah. we're not a late night bunch. And we're a bunch of all like, weekend. I've been traveling, and I'm not gonna lie, I've been drinking other wine um, mm -hmm. during this episode as well. So me and Keely, I, well, I've been kind of squirrely. I don't know what Keely's been doing. She's been drinking energy drinks and water. And I'm pumped trapped. up. She's pumped. I'm gonna okay. edit all these videos oh, tonight. Jam. Yeah, she up. All right, so we had our cheddar and Parmesan. Now we're going to do our goat. So it's the blueberry, lemon, and thyme oh, goat cheese. That smells so good. I wish they could smell it. Yeah, just like it. You can definitely smell the blueberry lemon. Okay? And it's just going to be in the general Ritz. Okay? And it does have a more distinct taste if you're not used to goat cheese. So <laughs> chew wisely. All right. Just take a bite. Just bite it. Oh, my God. This is oh good. god! Mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. It's really good. It's like I'm eating a piece of lemon blueberry cake. Yes. The lemon with like saltiness on it. Yeah. The lemon it's and goat cheese, that. I will say, is probably the. If anybody's ever wanting try to try, the the if anybody's wanting to try goat cheese for the very first time, I would highly, highly suggest mm -hmm. you try it with some sort of lemon or blueberry. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be a mix, but the lemon. Will definitely complement the goat cheese bite, which it it is it is a soft cheese. It's a very soft cheese, but it does have it's like a more spreadable of like cheese. It's, yeah. spreadable. it's a spreadable mm -hmm. cheese. Um, they come in like this. This little guy is a tiny little hand roll. This is a little hand rolled block, you yeah. guys. It is only four ounces, so it's a very small roll. This is good, I like but this. it's delicious. It's and I think I think yeah, if you're gonna do goat cheese for the first time, definitely. I would anything with lemon in it. Can I have another cracker? Will complement it very well. And now we're gonna do a bite with the lemon and goat cheese. <laughs> I'd say we haven't. <laughs> you said you wanted another cracker. <laughs> <laughs> Did 
photographer. You guys heard it. She's like, can I have another cracker? And I handed her a cracker. No, no. You psyched her out. She said, can I have another one? And you took that cracker. Put it down. You covered up the goat cheese like you were going to scoop it up. And then you took a plant cracker and gave it to her. I don't know why this is so funny. This is you past our like, bedtimes, you guys. You're like continuing talking. You're like... <laughs> I'm going to take this one now, I guess. Wow! You know what? I'm done. <laughs> you asked for another cracker, so I gave it to you. And I had a... Okay, so... Oh, if you did, if you... Daniel just said. Uh, <laughs> Keely, while I was giving you my spiel, my lemon goat cheese spiel, uh, Keely, as you heard, I know you heard it. <clears throat> can I have another cracker? Yeah, of course. And so I had. Yeah, yes, you uh, did. We're about to fucking replay <laughs> it. I, I said, can I have another cracker with that? Yes. <laughs> with that, though. So, you put this cracker on the cheese and, and then you handed me a naked out. one. <laughs> sliced and oh you just want another cracker okay well I'm gonna grab it and I'm gonna squish it on the cheese but I'm like, oh wait she didn't want cheese on it she just wanted a cracker so I squished the cracker on the leftover cheese left it and then handed her an empty cracker and I guess that was like the worst thing ever anyway god let's try this wine okay okay what, look at this wine yeah just something up blanc are you crying I am oh god I'm crying and I think I peed a little. <laughs> Good thing it's your chair. Yeah, it's my chair. It's my fucking dining room chair. I don't give a fuck. Oh my god. Okay, okay. So take a bite. Let's. We have to do that. We have to do it officially. So just yeah, take that. Take a bite. See now you get two crackers over there with two cheeses. Wow, now you're hoarding crackers because Kelly wouldn't give you one. Yeah, fuck you guys. Okay, take a bite. Get the lemony blueberry with the cracker again. It's almost like I almost want to say like almost like a lemon. Blueberry uh, uh, cheesecake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a Absolutely. cheesecake bite. Which is like a little more of a bite. Like, seriously, this is what this cheese tastes like. The Vermont Creamery Goat Cheese Wild Blueberry and Lemon and Thyme. Look it up. Google their shit. They have a website. Delicious. With a souvenir blanc. <laughs> mm. Huh. <laughs> you know what? This isn't it. I can't tell what's happening on your face. This isn't the worst wine I've had on, on really? the show. No. I really thought you were going to hate it. Like, it kind of reminds me of a very flat, like, 7-Up. Yeah. Steven Blanc. Okay. And it is, this is the uh, bread and butter brand from Napa, California. 
Like, I don't think the back of the bottle, it says vented and bottled and bread and butter. It was just with, it was just with the cheese. It's good with the cheese. Don't do it by itself. Yeah. That's what we're doing. We're pairing it. She just. (laughs) No. It's not good. Keely's trying to chase it. Yeah. It's not that great. I mean, I like it. It's, it's I'm gonna chug it. Okay, so if you've never, if anybody obviously <laughs> not had a, I take it back. It's bad. It is. It is a bitter white. Okay, I would, I would, I would say bitter, but may, other people may not um, describe it as such. The back of the bottle says classic mm-hmm. California Sauvignon Blanc with crisp flavors of citrus, peach, and melon. I definitely get citrus. A I get. Sa- like Perfect. It's like almost like vodka. It's like burning my mouth. Speaking of vodka, you want to take that pickle shot? No. <laughs> yeah. Perfect with, perfect when enjoyed, chilled, and with equally pleasurable company. That's what we have here. <laughs> equally pleasurable company. You know, I'd say it's equally pleasurable company, but you shut <laughs> me out with a cheese cracker. Bitch, you thought. So I don't know how I feel now. Hey, no, I thought you just Emotional said, damage. I get it. Emotional Dang. Dang. Well, I probably would not pair this with this, but I definitely loved the goat cheese. Yeah. The, the goat blueberry cheese really good. and lemon thyme Yeah, goat it cheese really good. Again, I can't artisanal. see this enough. Goat cheese, if you're not a goat cheeser, definitely pair it with a lemon taste. Because so good. Like, like it compliments. Like, you it could compliments. put that into a cheesecake. Yeah. And it would be delicious. I would eat it. I would, I would eat like a goat cheese that. lemon tart. Oh. That sounds delicious. Stop it. That's exactly uh, what we're eating here with the Ritz. Essentially, yeah. The Ritz is just like that little salty little kind of crust to yeah. it. Um, the next episode of my 600-pound life. <laughs> yeah. You could have lost you 30, have 40 pounds this month. If you just but instead you but ate artisanal cheese. Yeah. Lemon blueberry cheese. It's a lifestyle, okay? And drink so long, long, long. Lifestyle, called the rich and the famous. Water was complaining. Oh, we're getting really sidetracked with this episode, and so okay, we're gonna we're gonna get back. We're gonna get back to the story here. What happens to this dude with a zillion life insurance, life insurance policies? Yeah, so life, He's yeah. life insurance happy, slappy happy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for that riveting cheese was, reprieve. Or cheese, thank you the, so little. Uh, or in Keely's case, I don't know case, if that was more of a cheese relief or a comic relief. That was hilarious. So, and just so you guys know, you're getting this for free. Mm-hmm. Like, this is top tier comedy. So, we <laughs> left off. Late night exhaustion. We left off talking about this Harold guy and his uh, slappy, happy life insurance policies. Me. Beth Schott, she's the ISB investigator for this case. She, she's got this one quote that she says that stuck with me. And it says, a man losing one wife is tragic. A man losing two wives is suspicious. Yeah, it is. Mm. Looking back at his younger days, his childhood friends say that he was pretty obnoxious, but he was charming. You know, he was like that annoying kid, probably doing the Naruto run or whatever. Oh, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, He often did not want to go home to his abusive alcoholic father who was prone to violence, so probably not the best childhood. That makes sense. When he met his first wife, Lynn, he was completely in charge of of the wedding. He made Lynn put together multiple binders of different photographers, floral arrangements, venues, bakers, etc. to help him in his choices. Her family thought that it was really odd that the husband was in charge of the wedding planning versus the wife, but 
you know, whatever. Do your boo. After their wedding, the couple immediately moved to Colorado, just like with Tony. Family and friends say that Lynn became quieter and Harold became louder. When her family would call, Lynn would tell tell the family to call back when Harold was home because, quote, as a couple, we decided that we both should be on the phone when family calls, end quote. Whatever. This same issue was happening with Tony. Her family said that they were basically talking to Harold and it sounded like Tony was in a different room. Uh, and would just kind of like comment here and there. Tony all or uh, Harold also was known to to talk about how disloyal it was to talk to anybody about any marital issues that they were having, that's which not, really reminds me of my ex. Um, very terrible. narcissistic. Very. You're allowed to vent, okay? No, not to Harold. So while Lynn and Harold were Harold. married, um, it seemed like Harold mm. always had something preventing him from working full time. He had back issues, which made Lynn work more. She was a social worker. And also be his full-time caretaker. And he also put a lot of pressure on her to start having kids after they got married. Ew. This controlling behavior didn't stop at his wife's. One of his ex-girlfriends said that he was a loose cannon. He was very controlling and physically abusive. He pinned her to a wall. (laughs) Nope. Another woman came forward who had a terrifying experience with him late one night on a dark, deserted road. Mm. The woman claims that Harold told her, I could kill you and no one would find you till spring. Disgusting. Wow. Tony's family said that all of their calls were automatically routed to Harold's phone, so they never got to speak with Tony one-on-one. They described him as oppressive. Her neighbors say that her face was empty and she never smiled. Wow. Could never be me. Once Haley was born, friends and family say that Tony essentially became the third wheel. Harold had full control of what she wore, when and what she ate, and he had uninterrupted daddy-daughter time for the hour or so before they went to bed. Uh, no. Gross. Tony eventually quit teaching Sunday school and singing in the church choir, which were two very important things to her, mm. because according to Harold, these things were taken away from their marriage, and oh. he was actually the one that called the church to quit for her, which the church thought was really, really weird. So slowly over time, Harold's able to tighten his grip and control over these women, and he always seems to find a woman that has money. Uh, always. Of course. It Girls, actually comes to no. find out that the way Harold and Tony met was through a Christian dating website. And he had a list of three women that he took to his friends and said, okay, which one should I go for? What? And next to Tony's name was, like, doctor or something. So he ended up going with Tony. They actually married within, like, nine months of meeting. Like, it was really quick. They'd only, like, been together and hung out, like, a handful of times before they actually got married. Like, because she lived in Mississippi and he lived in Colorado. Uh... Long distance. Yes. Stuff. So. Ugh. I don't know about y'all, but no. Yvonne Bertolet is Tony's mom. Okay. She told investigators that her daughter came to visit without Harold just shortly before her death, oh. which was very weird because she rarely ever took trips without Harold, and they rarely took trips back to see her parents. They always made mm. her parents come to them, which they were old, and it was hard for them to travel to and from Colorado. So That's mm. terrible. If you look at pictures of Tony... Every picture she's in, she's kind of, like, stoic and just, like, there. Ju- just there. And Harold's, mm-hmm. like, you know, full of hey. life and this with Haley and stuff. And she's just there in the background. Miserable. Her mm-hmm. mom said that she looked exhausted. She informed the investigators about a time where she thought Harold had actually tried to kill Tony before her death. What? I'm going to read from some court transcripts because, like I said, it kind of lays it out really easily. Yeah. And I, you know. Yeah. In May 2011, Henthorne's second wife, Tony, suffered a neck injury when she was struck in the back of a neck of the neck and upper back with a large wooden beam. 
The incident occurred when she and Henthorne were staying at their cabin near Grand Lake, Colorado. It was dark, and their secluded cabin was surrounded by trees on three sides. Several facts about the Grand Lake deck incident raised suspicion. It was around 10 p.m. at night, but Henthorne was allegedly doing construction work or cleaning on the deck of the cabin. Henthorne later told inconsistent stories. He told the paramedics he threw the beam that hit Tony, but told an emergency room doctor that the beam had merely fallen off the deck. He also told a friend that he dropped the beam on Tony when he slipped from a ladder that she was holding. What would it? What, what a is nurse's it? note in Tony's file indicates that Tony was under the deck holding a flashlight for Henthorne when the beam fell. And in one account given to friends, he called to come and watch his and Tony's daughter, who was asleep inside the cabin. And Thorne suggested Tony was cleaning up around the deck and had just bent down when a piece of lumber fell off the deck. If she had not been down, the beam would have presumably hit her in the head instead of the neck and back. But when friends arrived at the cabin that night to watch the Henthorne's daughter, they did not see any lumber on the deck. Prior to the incident, Henthorne held four $1.5 million life insurance policies on Tony, but canceled one of them. Um, one month before Another the injury, in April policy. 2011, he made himself the beneficiary of a $200,000 life insurance annuity bought by Tony's parents. At the time, medical personnel deemed the incident an accident. No one, including Tony, voiced any suspicions that Henthorne intended to injure her. Essentially, what happens is it's late at night. They go out. There's a broken light. He's up on the deck. He has her down below the deck looking for these pieces of glass to pick up. She bends down to pick up a piece of glass. Beam falls. She goes to the hospital. She gets numbness in her hands. She's a surgeon. She's an eye surgeon. Right. So it kind of affects her work. No. And like she says, if she had not bent down, it would have struck her in the head and she would have been killed immediately essentially wow that's a terrible accident so the bertolets obviously are concerned they're very well off money wise yeah Mm -hmm. they had made a smart investment on a piece of land that happened to be rich in oil so they received royalties from oil companies like monthly i think they were constantly gifting money to their daughter and harold which they thought was really weird because he claimed to be this this big non-profit fundraiser for churches and and uh, hospitals, and he's got, you know, hundreds of employees working for him, these places, you know, mm-hmm. so that he's successful. Yeah, why he's do you need us that. to gift you money? Exactly. So April 10, 2013, the investigators finally execute a search warrant on Harold, and they find some shit. Boom. Boom. Harold Boom. kept every single piece of paper from the last 20 years. Every <laughs> single scrap of paper he kept. In his resume, he bounced from job to job, and then he went to Colorado Christian University, where he eventually dropped out and started his own fundraiser. Mm -hmm. He had business cards, notebooks, and other items, like pens with his logos on them, Mm -hmm. you know, whole nine yards. Investigators look at tax returns, and they realize that he made virtually no income and had no job since 1992. Wow. His so-called business was not registered or a certified fundraiser in Colorado, and he literally did not have a business. Like, just a big lie. All of the income came from Tony, and Harold had full control over it. Ugh, gross. Remember the royalty checks? Harold cashed all of them. They discovered that Tony actually had made her own separate bank account for these checks not long before her death. They also discovered that Tony had gotten her own cell phone. So she's taking steps to become independent. Mm-hmm. Is she going to leave him? Does he find out? Mm-hmm. What's oh, happening? No. Beth Shaw was able to get two federal prosecutors on board, Valerie Spencer and Sunita Hazra. 
Their next task was to convince an FBI agent, Johnny Grusing, to help with the investigation. Once presented with the evidence they had gathered, he says, well, just because he's a liar doesn't mean a jury's going to think he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You can be a liar and just be a shitbag right. and not kill people. So all four of them go up to the Deer Mountain Trail. They're like, we're going to hike this trail. We're going to show you where this happened. Mm-hmm. So they go up there. Johnny's quiet the whole time. They get back in the car and they're like, shit, like, did we not convince him? Like, you know, like, what's... What all of a do? sudden he says, that man, that man killed his wife. He shoved her off that cliff. So he's on board. They are continuing their investigation. They start tailing Harold. Mm -hmm. And they look deeper into his cell phone records. They had hired a nanny to watch their daughter Thursdays and Fridays for his business trips. Mm -hmm. Okay? What business trips? He doesn't have business. Yeah, what are you doing? So they're tailing him. They're tracking his cell phone. They track him to a Panera Bread in Mm -hmm. a strip mall about about 10 miles from his home. I'm sorry. The employees say that he's there all the time on his phone or computer, and he's there for hours. So they're like, hmm, that's weird. Harold's always on his phone. The activity never stops until he's sleeping, you know? Until about one month before Tony's death. During that time, he's in the area of Estes Park Mm -hmm. with gaps of eight-plus hours where his phone is turned off or there's no cell service. Mm -hmm. The bank account that Tony opened for herself... She opened about a month before her death, which is when these trips started, Mm. where he would have large gaps in his cell phone records. So after one of these out-of-town trips on September 9th, 2012, this is when he called Tony's work to start the process of the surprise. So investigators are thinking that this is where he found his spot, and now he's ready for his plan. So Harold is arrested on Tony's parents' wedding anniversary, and he's charged with the first-degree murder. They didn't give him bail because he's a flight risk. He's got millions of dollars in life insurance policies that, right. mm-hmm. which I don't actually don't know if he was able to cash in on hers because it was deemed undetermined. Right. But I don't know. I don't know how it works. In May 2015, during the pretrial hearing, a judge ruled that evidence from Harold's first wife's death would be allowed during the trial to show similarities to Tony's death, which is the appeal that I've been reading to you guys. Mm-hmm. That's his appeal basically stating that it shouldn't have been allowed. Um... I am going to read one more thing from it. It just says that each incident, including Tony's death, occurred in a remote location, which impeded communications, delayed emergency responders, and reduced the likelihood of accidental awareness. Henthorne was always the only witness at the time of the injury, and in the aftermath of each incident, Henthorne told inconsistent stories about what happened. Over their respective families' objections, he also had each woman's body quickly cremated and spread them in the same spot, actually, on Red Mountain. So, the trial begins September 8, 2015, and it's extremely publicized. Prosecutors emphasized how Harold downplayed Tony's injuries and never mentioned her bleeding out profusely from her scalping wound. Mm -hmm. The defense, yeah, never once says it, and they're like, he would have said that. If he really wanted to get her help, if he really wanted to save her, he would have done that. And um, he would have done CPR, and they also didn't, they knew he did not perform CPR because she didn't have those injuries. Yep. Should and her lipstick was not smeared. She uh, had red lipstick on. Wow. That was he would not have had moved. it all over his motherfucking face. It wasn't face. moved mm. whatsoever. So the defense called no witnesses. They just cross-examined prosecution witnesses. And Harold did not testify. They just kept reiterating that you cannot tell the difference between a push and a fall. In this case, you can. Yeah. The jury sided with the prosecution and found him guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced him to life without parole on September 18th, 2015. So a quick trial, like, yeah. started September 8th, ended September 18th with a... with A, a 10-day, yeah. yeah. 
That's awesome. All of his appeals have been denied, and the courts continually affirm his conviction. Um, in regards to his daughter, she was in the care of that babysitter who originally had her. She right. was in his care for 14 months, and then she was adopted by the Bertolais once he was arrested. Or once he was um, the convicted. And the Bertolais are yeah. moms. Or Tony's parents. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Which I don't know if it's her parents that have custody or maybe one of her brothers, but like her last name is Bertolais now at this point. Cool. Oh, okay. Um, actually, during the first year after Tony died, they kept in contact with Harold because they didn't want... They believed that he killed her. But they didn't want to lose contact with Haley because they didn't right. want to leave her alone with him. Right. So they kept in contact with him. They went on vacation with him and Haley, and oh, they would relate no. to the investigators, like, How everything that they knew. Yeah, what his So that way, they, that they were time. playing both sides. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, though, in April, or in 2013, he did cut, the, cut off contact with them because they went on air, finally, against him, basically stating, like... Mm-hmm. I so no, you killed our daughter. So they're extremely happy. Haley is happy, healthy, being raised by Tony's family. Wow. And uh, Harold is rotting in prison, trying to come up with every type of appeal that he can, and is failing greatly. Good. So that is the story of the Black Widower of Colorado. Jesus. I'm glad you all stayed awake. I'm so sorry. No, but no. that shit was wild, and that I had wild. to share that with you. And it was not very long ago. Yeah. It was not long ago at all. So he was never convicted in his wife, first wife's death, Lynn. Obviously, he's serving life in prison for Tony. Yeah. Right, right. But I think if they tried him for Lynn's death, he would for sure be found guilty, too. Yeah. Seriously, I don't think... Never getting out of it, You're right. That you can't prove that she either fell or was pushed, but you can prove the fact the circumstantial that, evidence surrounding yeah. her. Yeah, circumstantial evidence about you did not... Receipt. You did not give CPR. You did yes. not do any of these things. Like you, yeah. the way. That Couldn't you... he be charged for um, false? Um, he, he, he like lied. Have. He like lied uh, against his. T- he probably he could have, but he lied while under oath or something. Yeah. like that? something along that line. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Mm, giving like false information, impeding, to... um, like. Somebody's rescue or something like yes, that. I yep. know what you mean. Well, that probably goes into just so the first first degree murder premeditation. They yes. were able to prove all that. So, yeah. Dang. Well, that's hot yeah. stuff. That's some spicy cheese right spicy. there. That's some spicy gouda. Yeah. Yes, that's a that's a that's a goat cheese with a bite. Uh, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> God. All, All right. right. It's time for bed. Yeah, uh, stay fresh, guys. Stay fresh. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Eee!